You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Start! You can call me Bruce. Bruce Nolan is standing by. Hey, wacky Bruce! Coming to you from an undisclosed location, this is the Bruce Exclusive, and here's your host, Bruce Nolan. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, welcome to another edition of the Bruce Exclusive a Buffalo Rumblings live podcast. I'm your host, Bruce Nolan. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Bruce Exclusive. Welcome back. And welcome back specifically to the people who listened to me live last week and somehow decided that it was in their best interest to still show up again this week. I'm sorry ahead of time for what you may experience during this live podcast because I really can't make any promises. I do have an outline, but it's a live show. So it goes where the live show decides to go. I am glad that you decided to join me. Overall, we're going to have a discussion today that could go in any number of different directions because quite frankly, I'll go in what direction direction you want me to go. But I do have an outline specifically about pass rushers that I'm going to go through in the event that there finds themselves to be a lull perhaps, in the discussion. For those of you who are currently live on Locker Room, at the very bottom of your screen, you will see a button that says Request to Speak. When you press that button, I will get an audio notification that you have something that you would like to say to me. I have the ability at that point to bring you up on stage live with me. You can have your take, have your question, the same way you would if you were to call into a radio show. When you are finished, I will then put you back in the audience and respond to the take, respond to the question. So that's the way this works. Feel free to chime in whenever you want, and we will do our best to get to you as soon as possible. So with that note, let's talk about the Buffalo Bills and the pass rush. And I think it's really interesting to have this conversation now because 72 hours ago, If you were to ask a number of different Bills fans from a random sampling what the Bills should do this offseason to improve their pass rush, the vast majority of them would have said, well, first off, we got to sign J.J. Watt. That was the first thing on the lips of the vast majority of Bills fans from the moment he got cut all the way through to the there's mutual interest report all the way until we realize that he signed a two-year contract with the Arizona Cardinals. But now that question isn't necessarily easier, but it is more complicated. 
So previously it was, you know, well, sign J.J. Watt. Then we can deal with other stuff. Now there seems to be a more broad avenue of discussion when it comes to improving the pass rush. I actually made a meme that I was quite proud of, quite frankly, that had Homer Simpson kind of backing away into the bushes and then coming back out again. You've seen that one, I'm sure. But in that meme, Homer Simpson was Bill's Mafia, and he was wearing the shirt, and it was J.J. Watt season, and he backed into the bushes really slowly, and then he came back out and it said Vern, sorry, Von Miller season, which I thought was funny because I, I anticipated that perhaps the conversation would start to shift toward, hey, maybe Von Miller is going to be available. And to a limited extent, that's proven to be true. However, I do think that it's a little bit more multifaceted than just one veteran who we recognize the name, who has been talented and been a reasonable or meaningful, impactful player for a long time in this league. It's more complicated than that, which is weird because we didn't come across this entire topic from a very complicated method. Really, this started to kind of become the forefront of the Buffalo Bills Mafia's discussions right after the Super Bowl. After watching the Tampa Bay Buccaneers successfully get pressure on Patrick Mahomes, the same quarterback that the Bills struggled to impede themselves the previous week in the AFC Championship game, Bills Mafia now got zoned in on how do we improve the pass rush in 2021? How do we improve on a defensive line group that was somehow the league's highest paid? How do you improve on something when you already put a ton of assets into it? Now we know that part of the reason why the Buffalo Bills had the highest paid pass rush defensive line anyway in the NFL was because they had $8 million tied up in Trent Murphy, who was activated for all of five games last year. So that's going to take care of itself. We know that. We don't have to cut him. He's moving on. Now, obviously, in hindsight, we would have preferred to have that $8 million back. But what can the Bills do moving forward to see to it that Patrick Mahomes and the Kansas City Chiefs, you know, fear the pass rush a little bit? Because the Bills are going to play them at least once in 2021 and maybe twice, depending on how the playoffs go. So I have some thoughts. And much like the other instances of here's what I think they should do that you've heard from me this offseason, much like those facets, it kind of comes in a multi-pronged approach. And each one of these things can be found as an article on buffalorumblings.com. This particular one is opinion, what the Buffalo Bills should do at pass rusher this offseason. And my first one doesn't necessarily seem like it might fit, but bear with me. The first thing that I think the Bills should do to upgrade the pass rush this offseason is release Vernon Butler. Let's learn from the mistakes of the Trent Murphy scenario. Now, Butler was an odd fit for the Bills when he signed as an unrestricted free agent last year. He was pretty strongly flirting with the bust label. And the Carolina Panthers in 2019 ran a lot of 3-4 looks that they hadn't previously. And then all of a sudden, Butler accumulated six sacks, but only had 16 pressures. So he had a very unsustainable sack-to-pressure ratio. Does this sound like anyone else that you may have heard about? 
Jordan Phillips, who the Bills let walk, had 26 pressures and 10 sacks. And we talked ad nauseum last offseason about how Jordan Phillips's sack-to-pressure ratio was unsustainable. But then we brought in somebody who had the same issues as the guy we let walk, when in addition to that, they also had the whole, well, I mean, he's kind of playing five-tech, and he's not going to play that here. So we let someone walk who had questions. And then we brought someone in who had the same questions plus some because they were familiar with him. They were pretty familiar with him from back when he was a Carolina Panther and they were a Carolina Panther. And they knew him. They scouted him. Eric Washington, defensive line coach for the Buffalo Bills, knew them. But this breakout year that Jordan Phillips has that we knew wasn't sustainable, same thing happened with Vernon Butler. So then he comes to Buffalo, two-year, $15 million contract. Always a little bit weird. And he was meh in 2021. He was okay. Now, thankfully, much like Brandon Bean has been known to do, he built an out into the contract after one year, which means Butler gets a cap savings of over $8 million and a dead cap of $1 million. Absolutely pull the trigger on the release. Hold on, Bruce. You said you wanted to improve the pass rush. How does releasing Vernon Butler have anything to do with the pass rush? Okay, so first off, it frees up capital that can be invested elsewhere. That's important because capital is at a premium right now with this particular year. It's going to be at a premium across the board. And the tolerance that a team might have for a player who is performing beneath his cap hit is going to be less this year than it's ever been. There will never be a time in recent memory where teams will have less patience for players who aren't playing up to their cap hit. And if there's a way to get out, they're probably going to. If there's a way to restructure, they're probably going to. But the first thing is it frees up capital that can be invested elsewhere. Secondly, It frees up snaps, which are a form of capital. We have a tendency not to think about it that way. Snaps are capital. Why are they capital? Because they're limited. Not everyone can play all the snaps. So snaps are a limited resource. And you want to make sure that you divvy them up appropriately to get the highest amount of efficiency. Justin Zimmer was a more effective pass rusher than Vernon Butler. Justin Zimmer had 20 pressures on 163 pass rush snaps last year. Butler had 15 pressures on 266 pass rush snaps. Five less pressure on 100 more pass rush snaps. He was less effective than Justin Zimmer. Third, it frees up snaps for Star Latule, who comes back, who in turn can help man down the one-tech position, leaving more penetrating style players like Ed Oliver and Quentin Jefferson to do the things they do well instead of constantly be asked to wear the wrong hat and play left-handed. We don't want that. They don't want that. They're not super effective. So my first point before we go any farther in improving the pass rush is to free up capital by releasing Vernon Butler, not necessarily just money, also capital as far as opportunity as it relates to snaps. Now, Before we go any further, we've got somebody. Mason is on the line. You are on with Bruce right now. Mason, what you got? 
Hey, Mason, you're on, man. I can hear you. Hey, man, huge, huge fan. Thanks for ta- taking my uh, my call, I guess. Just uh, just a question. I completely agree with cutting Vernon Butler, and I would even go one step further and, and uh, potentially have Mario Addison on that list. As much as out of the three ex-Panthers, I think he's the best one. But um, just a question for you. Who would be your number one target? Um, considering we were in the final, it seems like we were a finalist for J.J. Watt. Do you think uh, Bean's willing to break the bank for a pass rusher if we do cut a few of our guys? Awesome. Thanks, Mason. I appreciate that, man. Okay, so ironically enough, that is a wonderful – I don't know if Mason has my notes in front of him. He might. Mason, I hope you got my email with the notes. I'll send you your $20 you know, for being, my, uh, for being my spotter in the audience. I'll send you that. That'll be great. But the number two thing – on the list is sign Carl Lawson. So I was a Carl Lawson guy before because I don't just think that the bills have an issue with pass rush. I think they have an issue with youth. And part of that was solved with AJ Epinesa last year. Part of it was solved there. However, it's not the only issue that you have. I talked about this when I was on the phone with Rockpile report and we were doing a podcast and it's not about necessarily just positional needs. If you've ever been part of a dynasty fantasy football league, you'll know what I mean. It's not just the position that you need. It's when you need it. And so when you have a player like Carl Lawson, who's in his 20s, or you have a player like J.J. Watt, I'm not saying Carl Lawson and J.J. Watt are going to have the same careers. Not at all. I'm saying that is the Bills need edge or is the Bills need youth at edge? It's more than just one. It's almost like the more complicated your need, the more specific the targeted player you have to have. And that's important because you can't just say, well, I need a punter. I need a wide receiver. It's not that simple. It's I need someone with this age, with this skill set at this position. They have to be a system fit. They have to be a dynastic fit as far as fitting into your long-term plans. And they have to be a positional fit. So Carl Lawson fits those things for me comes from a 4-3 defense, has shown really good speed to power. He's young. Actually, funny story, has a very similar athletic profile to Jerry Hughes. Jerry Hughes was 6'2", 254, and ran a 4.65. Lawson, 6'2", 265, and ran a 4.67. He's a little bit bigger. He has a really good ability to just stack up the offensive tackles and play with power. Converting speed to power is something that was interesting because it's something I thought we were going to get with A.J. Epinesa because he played in the 280s at Iowa. And then he comes to the Bills, drops a bunch of weight, and all of a sudden has a little bit more burst attacking the outside hip of an offensive tackle than you would otherwise expect. But who among us wouldn't sign up for a younger Jerry Hughes? Who, I mean, who wouldn't do that? Lawson had 64 pressures during the regular season. Jerry Hughes had 54. Lawson, I understand double team rates and things like that. I get that. He would have been the most effective pass rusher on the team based on raw pressure statistics. And mind you, Track currently projects Carl Lawson to get a contract in the neighborhood of $8.8 million. That seems crazy low to me. Now, I trust them. I think they're good at this, but that seems crazy low. If you can tell me right now that I can get Carl Lawson for $8.8 million, sign me up. You want Carl Lawson for the same price that you just finished paying for Trent Murphy? Yeah, absolutely. Sign me up. 10 times out of 10, 
100%. And I know he's popular. And I know it's, you know, been a bit since we've chased a free agent rusher quite like this. Now, I know it's not Mario Williams' category by any means, but the Bills have had a personally productive pass rush. Mario Addison was okay last year. Jerry Hughes was, in my opinion, the best defensive lineman on the Bills last year. I'm not in the boat of cutting Quentin Jefferson. I think he played out of position. It's one of the same reasons why I'm not super on board with like bashing at Oliver quite yet. Don't get me wrong. I, I think it's time for him to produce, but he played out of position a lot last year. It was really not an ideal position for him to be put in. And I still saw those flashes of talent. If he's being put in a reasonable position in 2021 and he doesn't produce, then okay. Now we can start, you know, showing disappointment in at Oliver for not being able to do the things that we want to do in regards to Mario Addison and cutting him. And then I'm going to get to take another call here in regards to Mario Addison. I go back and forth on whether or not I actually want to cut Mario Addison. And I'll tell you why I understand the push. I do. I do, you know, $10 million cap hit $4 million dead cap. I get it. I do. I completely understand it. And if you cut him before June 1st, your cap savings are $6 million, your dead cap's $4 million. That's where this value proposition comes in for me. You save $6 million in cap, but you ate $4 million to do it. It's just not a great value proposition for me. And what you're doing is you're really creating a hole. Because right now, until AJ Appanessa improves, I think we all just kind of assume he's going to start next year. But until he does, Mario Addison's probably DE2 on this team. And cutting Vernon Butler doesn't open a hole for me. Like, I just said Justin Zimmer outproduced him. So cutting Vernon Butler doesn't create a hole, in my opinion. Cutting Mario Addison does. And now you have to fill it. And you have to fill it using the resources you just freed up. So can I get a reasonable defensive end two for $6.1 million? That's going to be tough. I just said I thought $8.8 million was way low for Carl Lawson. That's one of the reasons why I I struggle with the cut Mario Addison thing. Because I think you're creating a hole. I will admit to being disappointed by Mario Addison. I will openly admit that. He didn't produce at the level with the Bills that he had previously produced. He was the model of consistency with the Carolina Panthers. And it looks like the Bills may have just picked a really bad time to sign him to a contract. But when it comes to Mario Addison, I just struggle with it. Because I just don't know if it's a positive value proposition. So... Mason, we're going to bring you back on real fast because you got to follow up. Mason, hit me up. Hey, uh, I just wanted to, I was just agreeing with everything you were saying, to be completely honest with you. Um, I, have, I agree with you. I have no issue bringing back Mary Addison. And the point you make about having a $4 million dead cap is very enticing reason to keep him. Um, I just want to know, like, uh, in terms of Quentin Jefferson, I really did not see it this year. Um, I mean, I get it. He's he's cheaper than, uh, than potentially the alternative, but I didn't. I I don't know. I, he didn't do it too much for me. Where I'm like, this is a guy that needs to be on our roster uh, next year, considering the cap crunch that we're currently in. You know, um, and just just another to follow up on that, and let's go one level d- deeper on the defense. Mm-hmm. Um, I assume you're on the the boat that we're not going to be able to retain Matt Milano. Um, just because yeah, of what I, yeah. I think there's going to be a team out there that's going to overpay for him. I think that's inevitable, um, considering how important a role he played for us. How comfortable are you with AJ Klein stepping into an every down role? 
And would you want to, to see us draft a linebacker also in maybe one of the later rounds? Not necessarily the first round, but take a flyer on like a third round linebacker. Uh, just asking your thoughts on that. Perfect. Mason, thank you much, man. I appreciate that. Okay, so let's start with Quentin Jefferson and then we'll move on to AJ Klein. So Quentin Jefferson was probably the best pass rusher on the Seattle Seahawks in 2019. I recognize that sounds hyperbolic because they had Jadavian Clowney. I understand that. I totally do. He was probably the best pass rusher on that team in 2019. And Jefferson and Ed Oliver kind of get lumped together for the 2020 for the Bills. When I watch them constantly try to figure out the one tech and a lot of games, Quentin Jefferson started at one tech, which is not even close to being what he was billed to be and the strengths he had coming to the Bills from Seattle. So the strength of Quentin Jefferson is the ability to play both three tech and kick outside and play as a base end on passing downs. That is the strength of Quentin Jefferson. We didn't see that in 2020. And we didn't see that primarily for two reasons. And they both have to do with one tech. And that is Starla Tule opt out and Harrison Phillips was overly ineffective. Those two things means... Sometimes when you're sometimes when you're really good at your job, you're so good that your boss asks you to do somebody else's job. It, it's even that job you're not even good at. But because you're so competent, unfortunately, with great power comes great responsibility per Uncle Ben and the Marvel Universe. And you get to do somebody else's job and you're sitting there going, come on, man, I'm being penalized for my competence. I feel like that's the scenario that Quentin Jefferson found himself in. And I'm not saying that Quentin Jefferson was an extremely effective player in 2020. I'm not. So don't misunderstand me. I'm saying that there's a perfectly reasonable explanation for the fact that he wasn't able to do the things we saw in Seattle as often. And I'd like an opportunity to see both him and Ed Oliver in more proper roles before I jettison them, because I've seen what they can do when put in the right position. So if I know that they've been effective in the correct position in the past, then in that case, I want to see them in that more often before I pull the ripcord. Now, moving forward, I do think you're right. I do think Matt Milano is probably not going to be here. I got the sense when Brandon Bean addressed the media in his end-of-year press conference and said he's earned the right to find out what his market bears. That seemed to me that our number is probably not his number. And we probably said, listen, go test the free agent market. There's a difference here between your perceived value and the team's perceived value. And that's really what free agency is, right? The team and the representation and the clients have to agree on what you are and what you're worth. And that's when you get to sign a contract. And so if there's a difference, you might say, you know what? This is what we think you are. It's nothing personal. We think you're worth, let's just say $10 million a year. And Matt Milano's representation is like, well, Shaq, Shaq Thompson got 13 plus. We think we're 13 plus. Okay. I'll tell you what, why don't you go to free agency? And if somebody is willing to offer you 13 plus, God bless you. And if not, we'll just stay in touch. And a lot of times that's kind of how these things work. So I do think Matt Milano is going to be gone. I am not comfortable with AJ Klein as an every down linebacker. I understand that he had a flash in the middle of the season, but if you go back and watch the tape, it wasn't necessarily because he was doing linebacker things well. It was because he was able to be unblocked on some blitzes. They asked him to run in straight lines on the edges. 
And there was a couple games where he did some linebacker things well, where he chased down runs from the backside and he was good sideline to sideline. That was great. But it didn't happen often enough. And for a guy who wasn't really super high on the A.J. Klein sign to be to be in with, I mean, I wasn't really happy when we signed him to begin with. I was like, holy crap, $6 million a year for A.J. Klein. That's like starting linebacker money. And that brings me to my next point. I find it very odd that A.J. Klein's contract is not really able to be gotten out of after one year. I find that very odd. I remember when the Bills signed T.J. Yeldon to a two-year deal, and it was really late in the offseason. And I always thought, wow, that's weird. Why a two-year deal? Usually this late in the offseason, you're thinking it's a one-year vet minimum deal. That's it. That's all you're getting. But it was a two-year deal. And then when you came into last offseason, the Bills went into the draft not knowing if they were going to be able to draft Zach Moss. So they had a backup plan in the event that they weren't able to secure the running back that they wanted to, and that's they had T.J. Yeldon on the second year of his contract. So worst case scenario, they go into last year with Devin Singletary and T.J. Yeldon. The A.J. Klein thing feels like that to me. I'm not reporting anything. This isn't me rumor-mongering. It just feels like they were possibly hedging against the departure of Matt Milano with a linebacker who had played in their system, who they knew, and they trusted. And so I would not be shocked at all to see Klein and Dodson and a rookie at the linebacker spots behind Tremaine Edmonds. Wouldn't be shocked at all. And I would be all on board with drafting a linebacker. The weird thing to me is that Jabril Cox is one of my favorite linebackers in the draft. I like his coverage ability, and I think that he does the things that Matt Milano does in a reasonable way. I think that he has that type of ability. And he's not small. I mean, 6'2", 233, I think, Jabril Cox. I'm literally spewing it off the top of my head, so somebody can correct me in the comments if I got the measurements wrong. But I think he's 6'2", 233. And I like the way he plays in coverage. But the weirdness comes from the fact that there's not really a good linebacker in the first round that I like for there. A lot of people love the linebacker out of Tulsa. Zayvon Collins is a popular name amongst Bills fans. I think he's much more of a Sam. I think he's a play into the line of scrimmage kind of guy. I don't love his coverage abilities. I think he's a big physical guy. I think if you were trying to replace Lorenzo Alexander, someone who can do a little bit of rushing from the edge, someone who can play into the line of scrimmage, play downhill, I think Zayvon Collins would make a lot more sense to me. I'm just not sure how I feel about him doing the things you asked Matt Milano to do. So I'm completely on board with taking a linebacker, mostly because I think the Bills might have thought about this when they divvied out the the uh, A.J. Klein contract. However, I'm not nearly as on board with A.J. Klein being an every-down linebacker as the Bills might be. Moving along, Anthony Marino, my good man, host of Breaking Buffalo Rumblings and a close personal friend. Anthony, what's up, man? Hey, Bruce. How you doing, man? It's a party all the time. Disco balls, dancers, the whole thing. <laughs> Listen, I want to go back to what you were saying about Mario Addison then, because if the Bills are going to acquire, let's say, a bigger name in free agency or even the thought of drafting someone, I mean, I've got to think that Epinesa has to be on the field this season. And really, if they have that three-man rotation, right, and you think last year and how they would go through with things, 
if they are going to bring in a free agent and Epines is going to get increased snaps, and of course Jerry Hughes is still going to play, doesn't that force them to move on from Mario Addison, or he just becomes another expensive defensive end that is inactive each week, which we just saw with Trent Murphy last season? So I was curious to get your thoughts there. I don't think that you're going to get away from the idea of a four-man rush, a four-man combo rush from the Buffalo Bills. I don't think that's going to happen. I think that let's say you brought in Carl Lawson, for example. I suggested him earlier. Let's say you bring him in. Your rotation becomes Hughes, Lawson, Epinesa, Addison. And they are a team who believes in waves of waves of pass rushers. This was true for the Eagles when Sean McDermott was there. It was true for the Panthers. It's probably going to be true for the Bills. I don't think you're going to get away from that. And so your third and fourth pass rusher actually end up playing similar amounts of snaps because nobody ends up being a 70% snap guy. Now, the only people, ironically enough, in the Sean McDermott defense who have historically reached that level of snap counts are the interior defensive linemen. And you weren't really able to do it with Ed Oliver as much because you had him playing one tech. So... I actually think that you might get star playing the normal star rotational snaps. You might have Ed Oliver playing the highest percentage of snaps on the defensive line next year. And then if you add Carl Lawson, you have Hughes and Lawson as your first wave and Epines and Addison as your second wave. And I understand people love Daryl Johnson. I totally get it. And having a fifth defensive end who can play special teams is great. It's, it's wonderful. It's, that, 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 it's a huge boon. But I didn't see a market improvement from Daryl Johnson on defense last year. And he's a toolsy guy with the long limbs. When you draft somebody like that in the seventh round, you're doing it with the idea that he can develop into something. And so because of that, you have a scenario where, okay, he didn't take the next step. Do we want to put him as the fourth defensive end? Do we want to give him, you know, 45% of the snaps when he really hasn't improved from year one to year two? I understand he's a four-phase special teams player, but I don't trust him on defense to be able to contribute significantly. I'd feel much more comfortable with Addison and Epinesa as our second line as opposed to Epinesa and Daryl Johnson. And they might view it that way. I think if I think if the starters played 68 to 75% of the snaps, I think I'd be much more willing to let go of Mario Addison in the event we picked up Carl Lawson or something like that. But I'll level with you. The rotational system is like ingrained in Sean McDermott's brain. I don't think he could get away from it if he tried. He wakes up in a cold sweat in the middle of the night, fearing that one of his defensive ends will pay, play more than 60% of the snaps and all hell will break loose. Cats and dogs living together, it'll be a disaster. And so because I recognize that I am operating within the guidelines of the system that Sean McDermott preaches, that's why I think you end up keeping Mario Addison anyway. Now, moving along, Andrew, you are up, dude. Hook me up. What you got? Hey, Bruce. Uh, big fan of everything you do. Um, I want to talk a little bit about your comments about Mario, but uh, I'm sorry, not Vernon Butler. And then uh, I just have a quick question outside of that. So I loved your analogy about how you talk about how snaps are opportunities. It's a really, it, it, 
it's truth, right? Like you look at those um, snaps and those, I feel like Sean McDermott looks at those snaps as like, oh man, we, we got to keep this line rotated through. Otherwise we're going to get diminishing, diminishing returns. But you look at Vernon Butler and to your point, he just didn't play up to his contract. So I feel like whenever Vernon Butler got put out there, he was already delivering um, a negative, you know, return on investment. So I agree with you um, that, I mean, I think he's the personal um, number one cut, cut casualty in my opinion. Um, my question outside of that was when when can you when can the people expect a Nick and Nolan reunion show? Um, you guys you guys helped me get through you guys helped me get through my um, boredom of my job when I first got hired on uh, about two years ago. That and obviously the other Buffalo Rumblings podcast. Uh, I know Ant Marino's in here too. I love listening to all his uh, Breaking Buffalo shows and i saw greg thompson in here earlier so you guys definitely helped me power through it um luckily i i get to work from r- work remotely now so it, i still i still listen to you guys even though i shouldn't when i'm on the clock but you know whatever you got you gotta you gotta roll with it um they'll never know andrew they'll never know that's, it's yes, fine yes it's you, you guys you guys you guys are inspiration so so much so that uh a couple of my friends and I decided like do our own little side gig, but that's neither here nor there. I I just really like your analogy about snaps and how people have to look at that as opportunity and reasonable. Um, you have to look at those as a opportunity cost. What you're getting, what you're giving up for what you're getting. So other than that, I'll just uh, let you talk upon that. I appreciate that, Andrew. Thank you very much. So first off, let's let's talk about Nick. So I actually talk to Nick occasionally, and Nick is just retired. That's that that's the, the the long and short of it, ladies and gentlemen. I, I wish that that wasn't the case, but Nick is retired. He has a new kid, a new house. His comments to me recently when we talked were sometimes, you know, time and opportunity are kind of like a vacuum. Right? They're like a gas. They expand to fill the space of whatever you give it. And then all of a sudden he stopped doing it and he thought to himself, gosh, how did I ever have time to do this? Because he had a, a brand new house and a brand new baby and it was just too much. And so now that he stopped doing it, my sense is that he doesn't miss it. So I, I hate to break hearts out there, but I don't, I don't think there's going to be a Nick and Nolan reunion anytime soon. Uh, the times I have spoken to Nick, I don't think entirely sure Nick listens to my podcast anymore. He's just off the grid. He's just, he's gone completely as, as if he never existed. Uh, and I think that he's happy and at peace with that. I talked to him actually this week, believe it or not. And I don't talk to him super often, but I talked to him this week and he was happy and he was at peace and I'll level with you. I don't really want to kind of upset the boat. You know, I don't want to introduce any sort of the stress because he sounded happy. He sounded, you know, like he was enjoying it. His kid is is growing up fast and he's there and he's there every night. And he doesn't have to, you know, be stuck in a in a dusty old room doing a podcast with Bruce. And so, you know, who am I to tell him anything different? So I do not think that there is going to be a Nick and Nolan reunion show. I apologize ahead of time for that. But it sounds like it's probably for the best. And to be honest, I've kind of enjoyed doing the solo thing. I enjoy doing the solo thing because it feels like I'm not a control freak, mind you. Let's just start with that. 
I'm not a control freak. I'm a control enthusiast. And so what it feels like for me is it feels like there's much less variables when there's only one person involved. And for those of you who are listening to this live, make sure you listen to Pat Moran's podcast tomorrow, the Talking Buffalo podcast. If you're listening to this Friday as a podcast, then make sure that you listen to Pat Moran's podcast because Greg Tomset, myself, and Joe Marino are all on talking about podcasting in general. And there's some pretty cool conversation there that comes along with it. And we talk about guests and things like that. And I'm not, I'm not really a guest guy. To be honest, I'm not really a live show guy either. This is very, very much outside Bruce's comfort zone. And so probably we'll do it and we'll do it for a little bit. And then we'll probably never do it again. <laughs> and you're like, hey, Bruce, why don't you do those live shows anymore? Well, because I don't really like them. I don't really like live shows. It introduces a bunch of variables into the equation that aren't really for me. I am a control enthusiast, not a control freak. My, I will make sure that I, I share that not just with you, but also with my wife. So also you're right. The snaps, snaps as being a limited resource is something we need to talk about more often. They are. They're a limited resource and you want to maximize every single snap at every single position. Bryce, you're up next, dude. Hook me up. What you got for me? Can, can, can you hear me? I certainly can, Bryce. All right, great. Um, so, so I wanted to go back um, to to the talk about replacing Matt Milano. And okay. uh, one, th- one thing that um, I think has been under uh, discussed is the possibility of seeing more three safety sets. Um, I would love to see the Bills go out and get someone like uh, Keanu Neal, who's who's you know same size as Matt Milano, similar skill set, um, and and brings a lot of the versatility um, that I think is super valuable uh, in, in NFL defenses. Um, so so I, I I'd be re- really interested to hear your take on the potential for maybe a, a, a more, seeing more dime uh, out of the Bills through safety sets next season. Awesome, Bryce. Thank you so much, man. I really appreciate that. I would love to see that. I think that the three safety set is, I don't want to say it's the wave of the future. That sounds, that sounds really weird. Do you guys remember Dippin' Dots? Dippin' Dots was going to be the ice cream of the future for like 30 years. Now we're in the future now and I don't see any Dippin' Dots. I'm just saying, I kind of feel like I got robbed there. But I do feel like the three safety set is the Dippin' Dots of the NFL. It really is the, the wave of the future because everybody wants to find these positionless defensive players. I talked a little bit about this on my podcast that dropped today when I was talking about tight ends. And one of the things that defenses are trying to avoid is that they're trying to avoid getting caught into bad situations between base and sub packages. There's this weird purgatory that comes along with being in that weird space between nickel and base between base and any sort of sub package where you might have bigger receivers or you have athletic tight ends. And it puts you in a weird spot where if you go base, you're too slow. And if you go nickel, you're too small because traditional nickel corners, we do this all the time. Anytime you have a nickel, a corner who's under five ten, we go eyes and nickel just immediately. We did it with a meek Robertson last draft cycle all the time, despite the fact that he absolutely beat the ever-living tar out of six foot six Colin Johnson from Texas all over the field. Colin Johnson, I made this note leading up to draft 
kind of time last year. Colin Johnson checks under his bed at night, hoping Amik Robertson is not there because he's got nightmares. He's got absolute nightmares that all five foot nine Amik Robertson is going to show up and mess him up. He's the boogeyman. But we do this. We put all these short corners and make them slot. And then all of a sudden we go, well, goodness gracious, what happens if they have athletic tight ends? What happens if they have running backs who they can flex to the slot who are really good receivers? Then all of a sudden, if we go base, we're too slow. And if we go nickel, we're too small. And so the answer to that is to find these positionless defenders, these people who are halfway between a linebacker and a safety. And if you find them, that allows you to stay in consistent personnel groupings despite whatever the offense is going to do. So I'm completely on board with three safeties. The issue that I have is, are the Bills going to run it enough to make it worth a free agent investment? What I'd rather see is if you're going to do that, draft somebody. That way you not only have someone cost controlled at a lower premium right now, but in addition to that, you can hemorrhage your, sorry, hedge your bets against the departure of Micah Hyde next offseason. Mind you, I have no interest in letting Micah Hyde go. He's one of my favorite players on the entire team. I think he's horribly underrated, and I would chain him to the stadium if you would let me. I want to sign him to an extension. I would rather sign Micah Hyde to an extension than Matt Milano, if that tells you anything. Because I want Hyde and Poyer together. I think they are the secret sauce that makes this defense go. But if I'm going to add a third safety, I would prefer to do it in the draft because it gives you two birds with one stone. We talked about this when we talked about pass rushers. The need, is the need a third safety? Yes. Is a better need a third safety with some youth on a longer contract who's more cost controlled to hedge against the potential loss of Micah Hyde? I think so. I'd rather draft one. So I'm completely okay with getting one. I would prefer personally to draft one over signing one. Andy, Andy, I appreciate it. Dude, I am loving the questions, guys. Thank you so much. This makes this go so much faster, and it takes a ton of pressure off me. So thank you so much for engaging. You are up, Andy. Tell me what you like. Uh, hi, Bruce. Uh, I love the show. Great listening to you. It's got a question for you as far as kind of being a devil's advocate. So sure, man. Um, let's say that going into because we know we have a kind of tight off season, and and maybe the Bills are looking at not making any moves at all, especially on the defensive line. You know, looking to try to save. Like I hope maybe adding some athleticism to the secondary or something along those lines. You know, with a little bit of money. So, what's your take on? Uh, how much of 2020's defensive line issues were tied to, I know that there's some players that were familiar with Eric Washington's system and kind of getting familiar with that and each other versus just a lack of, you know, I guess talent and or, um, you know, just being able to get home more often. Andy, thanks so much, man. I appreciate that. It's, it's, I'm glad that you brought this up because it's something that was talked about in the end-of-year press conferences. And it, I'll level with you, it rang a little bit hollow for me because Star Latule is familiar with the Cam- with the Carolina Panthers system, and he opted out. Okay, well, uh, that's, that's too bad. Vernon Butler's familiar with it. Mario Addison's familiar with it. So Ed Oliver's got to learn it, and Jerry Hughes has to learn it. 
AJ Appanessa doesn't have to learn a new system. This is his only system he's ever known. So it's one of those things where the Eric Washington part just rang a little bit hollow to me. I don't, I'm not saying that it has no effect whatsoever on having a new defensive line coach. I'm not saying it has no effect. I'm saying that when you think about the list of reasons why the Bills defensive line underperformed, I would have that fairly low. The first one I would say is you didn't get good play at one tech, which trickled through the rest of your defensive line. Because your two players at one tech were Starla Tule and Harrison Phillips. Starla Tule opted out. Harrison Phillips was ineffective until pretty much the end of the year. You tried multiple different rotations earlier on in the year to try and figure it out. You end up settling on Quentin Jefferson and Ed Oliver. So now you're rotating them at one tech and you're playing them out of position. You sprinkle in some Vernon Butler who didn't play effectively. You sprinkle in some Justin Zimmer who's a replacement level player and still outplayed Vernon Butler. And now that trickles into not allowing you to do the thing with Quentin Jefferson that he was successful at in Seattle, which is rotating him from three tech to end back to three tech. And then you contribute that with Mario Addison not being as effective as he was previously in Carolina. I would put both of those things as far as why Bruce did the Bills defensive line underperform. I would put both of those things way higher on the priority list than the Eric Washington thing. I recognize that it's a factor because anytime you have a position coach change, it is a factor. It just seems that it's one of those scenarios that it just rings a little bit hollow to me. I don't think it means a ton. So I recognize it. I just think the other things are seem more obvious and more likely, more probable, if you will, to have been major impacts on the Bills pass rush this year. Evan, my good man, Evan Baxter is here. Thank God you don't have a teleprompter because I would make you say the most ridiculous things, dude. Hey, thanks, Bruce. Um, my question was regarding um, how much do you give up to get a pass rush and then lose for run defense then? Isn't that kind of a tricky game to play there? Yeah, it is a tricky game to play. It's a very tricky game to play. One of the reasons I like Carl Lawson is because the way he wins, he has the ability to attack the outside hip of a pass rusher, but he can win with power. And that fits with the compression style rusher that has historically done well in Sean McDermott's defense. If you look at people like Mario Addison, if you look at people like Greg Hardy, if you look at people that have had success in the Carolina Panthers defensive system in the past, a lot of them were compression rushers. And Carl Lawson has the ability to do that. He has those types of moves, the power rush, the bull rush, the long arm. Yes, he can attack the outside. And you have to be able to. You have to be able to attack the outside hip of a pass rusher some way. Now, speed is ideal. But if if it's a chop and then a rip under, if your hand usage is really good and your leverage is good, you can still attack the outside hip. But you have to be able to compress. Otherwise, you're leaving openings underneath your rush for lanes for running the ball. So I do think there's a, a, a kind of thing to get right. But let's be honest. Was the Bills' run defense so good this year that we can't take a swing without going backwards? I think one of the reasons was I mentioned – Starla Tule wasn't playing well at one tech because he wasn't playing at all. 
And then, you, of course, you have Harrison Phillips come in, and he wasn't effective overall until some flashes later on. Vernon Butler wasn't good. I think the one-tech thing had a really significant trickle effect on the rest of the line. I really do. I think the one-tech thing and Mario Addison not playing well are the two most significant factors. And I think that stuff trickles into the run defense too. That's what I think. Yeah, I agree. And you brought up a good point there. Like we didn't, our run defense wasn't really that great last year anyway. So what are we really losing there? Yeah. And and to be fair, the other stuff that goes along with the run defense, not being what playing well is, you know, Tremaine Edmonds was playing hurt. Matt Milano was hurt. AJ Klein came in and wasn't good. You know, all these things, the thing that's interesting about defense is everything touches everything else, right? Star Latule wasn't there, so Tremaine Edmonds got more people up in his grill. And because Tremaine Edmonds got more people up in his grill and he was playing with a hurt shoulder, now he's not able to disengage. Well, he already struggled with disengagement because of how big he is and how big his frame is. So then it starts to snowball on you. Everything is connected when it comes to defense. This bleeds into this, which bleeds into this. And it goes and goes and goes and goes and goes. And because of that, you can't really isolate one thing, but you have a tendency to kind of figure out, okay, if you just keep saying why, oh, well, Tremaine Edmonds, you know, wasn't able to get off his block. Okay, why? Well, because the people were getting up in his face, the blockers were able to climb to the second level. Okay, but why? Well, because the one tech wasn't there. Well, but why? And if you just keep asking yourself that, sometimes you realize that these problems are actually three, four, five levels deep. And I think the run defense was a big part of it. So moving along, Anthony, 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 my buddy, my scientist friend from the Cover One Network, co-host of the Hoof podcast on the Cover One Buffalo Bills podcasting network, my man, Anthony, how you doing, dude? Bruce, it's good to be on here with you. I'm liking this new format. I know it's not your favorite, but you're doing pretty darn well at it, I'd say. Well, I appreciate that. I'll make sure to put that in my notes for next time. Anthony thinks I'm doing good. (laughs) So uh, I wanted to ask you about Carl Lawson because I agree that I think he is the next most desired fit for Buffalo. Uh, But do you think that he is actually the second best pass rusher or free agent on the market? And if so, are you afraid that there's a team out there that might overpay for him? And uh, if they do, if he doesn't end up in Buffalo – Do you have a second or third option that you're hoping for or a guy that you're definitely trying that you want the boy, the bills to avoid signing? Cool. Thanks a lot, man. I appreciate that. So in regards to, is he the second best pass rusher on the market? I think it depends on how you feel about Yannick Ngakwe. I know that Yannick Ngakwe was a player who got a lot of run last year when the discussion was more along the lines of, do you want to trade for him? Right. And this changes things a little bit when someone's a free agent. I really think it's funny that last year we had people willing to trade a bunch of money for a bunch of assets for Yannick Ngakwe and then sign him to a fat contract. And then all of a sudden after that, now that he's available on the free agent market, now you don't hear as much about him, which I think is an interesting testament to how short our memories are when it comes to things like this. So Yannick Ngakwe is projected at 15.5 average annual salary per year from Spotrac and is still 26 years old. And I think he played perfectly reasonably in 2020 with Baltimore. And when you have a player like that on the market, I think that his 
contract kind of has a tendency to trickle down. I think the earlier you get someone like Carl Lawson to sign, the better off you're going to be. Because I do think that if you have Leonard Williams re-sign with the Giants, for example, and if you have Yannick Ngakwe, I recognize Leonard Williams is is a unique case because he's much more of a hybrid defensive tackle, defensive end player, and he fits the best in that scheme for sure. But if you have a player like Yannick Ngakwe who signs early, then it drives the market up for Carl Lawson. So I do think that one of the reasons why the $8.8 million seems low to me is because I don't love the pass rusher market. I think Romeo Okwara and Carl Lawson are in very similar boats. I think Carl Lawson has a larger track record of being successful. So I do think he'll end up getting paid more than Romeo Okwara does. Okwara had a kind of a breakout year. And you always worry about people who have a breakout year in their in their contract year. With Jordan Phillips, obviously, that was a big factor. With Romeo Okwara, you think to yourself, okay, if he hits it, this is a double-digit sack guy. It's the same as Trey Hendrickson. Trey Hendrickson is in that group as well. I don't think Trey Hendrickson is worth a $15 million a year contract. I think he's going to get it. And if you let him sign and Yannick Ngakwe sign and Romeo Okwara sign and they're all double digits, you're not getting Carl Lawson for $8.8 million anymore. You got to get him early. Now, the good news is because of the cap situation around the league, there may be players who are not willing to wait for the market to rise because they're fearful that time will no longer be of the essence for them. So this is something I'm really glad you brought up because I wanted to talk about it specifically on this podcast and I was worried I wasn't going to get a chance to do it. Historically, waiting can actually increase your value on the market. This year, more so than most, if you wait as an NFL player in the free agent market, the money might dry up. And the money, the the idea that the money might dry up is very, very rare in the NFL. But it's more real this year than it's ever been. So if you want to get somebody, I think the prioritization for NFL teams in the free agent market is going to be so important. If you want to get somebody, go get them. And make sure you prioritize the right people. Don't, you might not get to your second and third option because they might get sucked up by somebody else. And if those players are like, listen, if I wait, the money might dry up. They might sign early. So prioritization, the the chronology in which you call people as a franchise, I think is going to matter. It's going to matter if you call Yannick first and then Romeo Aquara and then Carl Lawson. Like that chronology is going to matter. If you screw up that chronology, you could miss out on all three of them. So I'm glad you brought that up. I do think that there's a chance that waiting could drive it up. But there's also a chance that waiting could make the money dry up. Moving along, Ryan. Ryan Kane, you are on with Bruce right now. Hook me up, buddy. Hey, Bruce, and uh, hey, everybody. Uh, Happy to be talking with you. Big fan. Thanks, man. I appreciate that. All right. So I have uh, my first almighty take. I've been like, keep every week, I keep meaning to send them in, and then I hear your podcast and I realize (laughs) I forgot. So actually, my first almighty take to take... retrospective credit was that McDermott was going to go to the AFC championship game and get conservative reverting back to his normal historical patterns. 
So that was, okay. that was just, I just, yeah. So that was just, I don't know. I just want to take retrospective credit because literally no one in okay. LA cares. I, okay. okay. I, I see but, how it is. So you, so you, you, you just have, wanted to dunk all, all of us. <laughs> oh, well, I do have, I do have a real one that's contemporary. I just wanted to, okay. while we're talking about all right, Ryan, hook, hook me up, man. Okay, perfect. So a few things that have been established in the past few weeks uh, on your podcast mm-hmm. and others. Uh, value is what you get versus what you pay. Mm-hmm. And uh, moving, so determining whether to, you know, restructure cap space is, uh, that decision is, uh, you know, basically your marginal benefit in this year versus your marginal cost in the following years, correct? Correct. Yeah, that's a really great way okay. of putting it, yeah. Okay, so then a couple other facts, like there's uh, bills are relatively better positioned than most teams. This year, we have an unusual year-on-year dip in expected cap space. Uh, and then we've also kind of speculated this dip will not really impact the top of the market, but will really squeeze at the middle of the market. Additionally, yep. Additionally, there's a coming balloon uh, in cap space with the TV money. So my thought process is that this would increase the marginal benefit this year with all the extra free agents that would be chasing the money, as you just said, um, for all, so to increase the marginal benefit this year and the marginal cost next year. However, the bills are one of the teams that's uniquely positioned to take advantage of that. Therefore, it's going to incentivize Bean to be more aggressive in opening up cap space, restructuring con- contracts while adding or retaining pieces, particularly taking advantage of the cheap and plentiful depth for a Super Bowl run. Okay. All right, Ryan, I appreciate that almighty take, man. And I agree with you. I think that the idea that there's 2022 jump in cap coming, I think is going to encourage and spur teams to be more aggressive in 2021 than they would have otherwise been given the circumstance. I do think that having that idea that, okay, it's bad right now. There's a famine right now, but the rain is coming, right? The crops are going to grow. I do think that's going to encourage them a little bit. I will say that there's a reasonable chance that when the NFL opens, there may not still be fans at full capacity. So there may still be a, a revenue drip that is a problem in 2021. So I do think that the TV money is going to matter, but I'll level with you. When I saw the Disney deal, it wasn't as much as I thought it was going to be. I thought that when I heard the NFL was looking for basically a hundred percent increase in payment from Disney, when it comes to broadcasting rights, that they were going to get it. I really did, but it ended up only increasing by about 25% or so versus the last time that they did a TV deal. So it might not jump as much as I thought it was going to jump because I think that maybe the NFL really wanted to get the deal done soon to kind of stabilize the projections given how wonky this particular year has been from a revenue standpoint, rather than try and squeeze every dime they possibly can out of the opposing TV networks because the longer that stuff waits – The more uncertainty you get, the more uncertainty you get, the more teams are probably going to be less willing to spend, and then that's a problem. So I do think the 2022 TV deals are a factor, but I'll level with you. I don't think they're going to jump as much as I thought they were going to. They're still going to jump. It always jumps when there's a new TV deal. But if the Disney deal, the reported Disney deal, let me rephrase that, if the reported Disney deal is any indication, I'm a little bit bit surprised. 
as to how low, of course, we're talking low is a <laughs> low is a uh, a general phrase of speaking at this point because, quite frankly, you know, we're talking the billions of dollars. So low is <laughs> low is subjective at that point. But I do think that it's going to give people a little bit of a gumption when it comes to making sure that they're still being aggressive. But I just don't think it's going to be as much as I thought. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, we did it. We went for over an hour. I really appreciate you being a part of this, guys. Thank you so much, first off, for the questions, because that makes this so much better. You know, I recognize that I don't really love doing live shows because I don't think I can be quite as eloquent and I don't have my notes in front of me and it's not really quite my style. But having you guys jump in and give your takes and give your questions really makes for a wonderful time. So thank you so much for being here. I can't possibly thank you enough. I really enjoyed the time. And for those of you who are listening to this as a podcast, join me next week. We're going to do it again. We're going to do it again next week. Same time, same Bruce time, same Bruce channel. 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on Thursday. That'll be Thursday the 11th. And then the next time, the week after that, will be the 18th, which will be smack dab in the middle of free agency. Who knows? Maybe we'll session that'd be fun ladies and gentlemen thank you so much and until next time that's the way the cookie crumbles i'm bruce nolan buffalo rumblings more to do's less time and an infinite number of tools to keep track of sometimes doing business has never felt harder but you don't need a miracle to hit your goals you can just use HubSpot because their all-in-one customer platform can make growing your business infinitely easier. Imagine this, high-quality leads, fast-closing deals, wildly happy customers, and more benchmark-breaking quarters. It's not a miracle, it's HubSpot. Visit HubSpot.com to get started today.